Hello, everyone. We are back today. I'm Mary Byler, and I'm here as a co-host of Plain Rainbows. I am joined by my co-host. Say hello, James. What up, Doe? What up, Doe? <laughs> That's all you got? That's all I got. We are joined by Jess who has decided to come share with us um, some of her experiences as a lesbian Mennonite, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yes. Why don't you say hello and introduce yourself, Jess? Hey, I am Jess. I used to be Mennonite, and uh, I am gay. So what Ooh. type of Mennonite were you? <laughs> so I was conservative Mennonite. Technically, we would have been pilgrim um, from a very specific area in Maryland. Um, and then later, my family joined charity. Oh, so how did that work out for you? Whew, it was a lot. It was a big transition, but it was it was a lot as a young person, especially transitioning from like this set of roles to a totally new set of roles that still smelled the same, but was kind of different. I mean, was there a space in either of those communities for you as a as a gay person? Absolutely not. We like anyone who is even slightly different. There wasn't space. We were invisible. Nobody even saw us. Um, and if they did, they saw it more as like this person's kind of mentally ill or, you know, not quite right. But there wasn't space for us to to actually exist as people. Wow, that sounds kind of traumatic. So how did it feel to grow up in an environment like that? Like, how would you cope? Honestly, it was a lot of feeling like something was wrong with me before I was even old enough to realize I was feeling that way. Um, the very earliest memory that I have of realizing I was actually different than the other girls, um, I think I was about 10. And I remember the girls, all of the girls would get together on Sunday afternoons and we would often hang out like in the garden or the greenhouse or whatever and talk about weddings, you know, what they wanted their wedding to look like, boys, stuff like that. And I was just sitting there and I'm like, I, I, I never thought about it. I had literally never pictured myself marrying a man ever. And so it just, it kind of hit me in that moment. I'm like, oh, wow. These girls have really put some detail into it. I remember my best friend, I was probably 13 or 14, but she had a whole binder of color schemes, flowers, who would be in her wedding, like the whole thing. And I was just sitting there like, mm, just, something isn't quite right. You just didn't want none of that? I didn't. I really didn't. I had absolutely no desire for any of that. And I remember the girls kind of treating me like something was wrong. And like I, would, I was present with them, but I wasn't really a part of the friend group or the conversation at any point. So did you, did you like to, to just, just for my own innate curiosity, like, did you feel like you were there, but you weren't really 
you didn't belong? Like, did you have a sense of belonging with them or did you feel like you didn't belong? Because you were talking about feeling like, like alone, maybe. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, I never, I never really felt like I belonged. Like I would, I would be with them physically, but I never really felt like I fit in or like I was a part of the girls. Um, yeah, I never really felt like I had a place of belonging. I was just the one that was different. Because, is it because girls are taught and often like their whole, like what they want in life is to grow up and uh, like, I don't know about Mennonites, so I'm asking because like, I don't know, right? Yeah. And sometimes the more we know, the better we can have discussions about it. So were they taught like that they want to grow up and have children and get married and it is God's will for them to submit to their husband? Like was that a ideology or a theology that was present? A hundred percent, like from a very, as early as I can remember, all of my value as a woman was based on how many children I would have, the home that I would build, the man that I would marry and you know, how well we would do for ourselves as a family. Um, I remember very, very vividly, I had a friend who got married and she couldn't have children. And it was such a struggle because her value, like she was at a lower level than everyone else because her value was really based on the man that she married. And she married somebody that was like higher up in the church and how many kids that she was capable of having. That's really sad. Um... I mean, like, imagine, like, think about this, like, as, as today, are there children now that may be experiencing that in these communities? Because what you're describing to me is a place where you are told that this is what you want. And then when you don't want that, or you can't want that, there's nowhere for you to go. Did you have role models? No, not out, not that we're different than the typical, like all of the people that were in my life, all of the older, you know, the older women, they all got married. They all had children. They all, you know, did their gardening and their farming and they took care of the house and things like that. And I don't remember even recognizing that there was anyone that was different. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. they, they had a they had a big value placed on conformity, which results in children being taught that there's no space for anybody to be different. When we all know that you, if you understand humans, there's always going to be humans that are different from each other, right? So you how did you navigate that? Like how, how did you end up where you are today? It was a really, really long journey because I didn't even have the language or the words for what I was feeling or even what it meant. Um, like it took me a very long time even to have the vocabulary to talk about it. But it was a long journey of really coming to accept myself and realize that what I was feeling wasn't wrong and that I wasn't sick. 
like I had pretty much been made to feel my whole life. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was a long process and it took me a couple of years, even after I left to really fully accept and to feel the freedom to explore what I wanted and who I wanted to be. So how do you reconcile that? Cause that seems like a really big journey too, because you're talking about it taking years to be able to have the language to express it. So it's like, where do you start? If somebody is listening to this and they have feelings of being different or not quite belonging or just, they don't want the same things that their peers want in an environment like that, like, do you have any ideas on where they can start acquiring language to even begin understanding themselves? Um, I'm thankful that at a pretty young age, I had a local library and some of the librarians there were very um, understanding and very accepting and they would help me to find books that kind of reflected people that were more similar to myself. Um, <laughs> I remember very specifically, there was a book about a certain astronaut who was gay and it was in the adult library. I wasn't supposed to have it, but I took that book so fast. So, <laughs> yes, the forbidden literature. Yes. And I left it in the rain and it got ruined. And my mother found out it was a whole thing. But it was oh, so Jess. validating. <laughs> oh, Jess, you were such a, you were being a backslid harlot, weren't you? I, I was. I was. <laughs> <laughs> but like finding finding literature that reflected what I was feeling and validated that yes there are other people even just one person like he was really the only person I'd ever heard of who was gay who was different and that one person gave me I don't know enough hope to just kind of keep going and to keep searching um and then like I said my best friend who is a lesbian she was just there for me steadily. And she didn't, she's not from my background. She didn't understand me fully, but she was there and she's still there. I love her so much, but she also helped me to kind of navigate and to see myself. And did she accept you as you were? Always. And, and did your best friend's love come with conditions or strings attached? Absolutely not. Not even the littlest bit. She just, she was just there. And like, <laughs> even as I was coming out and as I was like figuring out my style and all of these things, she was just there and supported me. And that is everything. She had no concept of what I was going through. She had never met another plain person in her whole life. Oh my um, God. But she was there. <laughs> <laughs> She's still there. Well, see, like, I, I have to ask this, though, because I know this, because I was assigned AFAB, right? Um, I have to ask. So what type of style journey did you go on when you escaped? <laughs> it was horrifying. Wait, you guys go on this? This journey where they find clothes? Anyways. I feel <laughs> it was horrifying Tess. what did so you do horrifying. so at right after i escaped i went to live with a friend of mine 
um, who was from the same background. And she kind of took me in and helped me get on my feet. And then the first time we went shopping, I remember looking at the jeans and I'm just like, I, I don't know how to buy jeans. How, what are these two sizes? Why are there so many numbers? And like, I didn't even know what size I was because I had always sewn everything for myself. Mm -hmm. So the first pair of jeans I bought did not fit well. It was horrible. Um, and I thankful I had a friend that kind of like pulled me aside and she's like, look, we need to, we need to fix this. So she helped me. Um, you need but, to oh my God, the neon colors that I wore for like two years straight. <laughs> I want pictures. Do you have pictures? Pictures are didn't happen. I don't. Oh, that's just rude. I yeah, I have like I actually the other day I I'll have to send it to you. I found one picture like right before I left with this laptop that I bought off of like Craigslist or something. It's horrible. <laughs> Look, we all go through it. I, ha I have pictures of me, like, I um, mean, so, and anyways, like, I want to ask James, like, did you go through that? Did you go through the clothing exploration? The clothing, yeah, I, re I remember, like, when, during my clubbing days, like, you know, like, the drag shows, right? And I would be all, like, glittered up, and I'd have to, like, change clothes, drag in a bag, and hide it when you get home, and, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, but, like, for, for Amish guys, it's like when when you want to dress, you get jeans and a t-shirt, and you get your hair buzz cut, and you're so happy. Like you don't have to go through um, this extensive thing, but for for that women would have to go through. But it's it's a lot of fun to to go shopping. <laughs> See, it was massively overwhelming for me. Massively, yeah. Well, because there's so many choices, and and. We had choices, right? Is it going to be dark blue or dark green today? <laughs> yeah. Or are we in mourning and should we wear black? Black, yes. And then what oh. do you wear to events? And what do you wear to baby showers? And oh my gosh, that was just... Oh my God, y'all had baby showers? Yeah. You worldly people! I know, they were awful and I hated every single one. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I would find every excuse not to go to a baby shower. I did not care. Like it was awful. I I just I'm trying to envision now this plain Mennonite baby shower and I just you know what? It's it's not computing. Mind blown. It, it's the cloth diaper cakes. Endless cloth diaper cakes. I'm I'm sorry. What? <laughs> You take the cloth diapers and you roll them really tight and you safety pin them and you stack it and you make it look like a cake and you put the ribbons on it and all that shit. And see, I've seen like all the pamper like diaper cakes, but I've never seen like a. How could you waste money on pampers? <laughs> That's so wasteful. <laughs> I got news for you. When I became a parent, I didn't use a single cloth diaper. Are you calling me wasteful? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's where you're going with this. Mm, no, nah, if I ever had a kid, like it would not, absolutely not go to make cloth diapers. Absolutely not. No, we're not, we're not going to do that. Nope. 
the how did you get like your socializing you know and your 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 hen party stuff like you had to get information somehow so where did your information come from if you weren't going to the gossip the hen party things um youth group mostly oh okay okay which i i could participate i was really sick when i was a teenager um, mm -hmm. I had a lot of health issues, so I could participate somewhat in youth groups. So I would hear all the juicy gossip. Um, that was pretty much my my socialization. Wow. Yeah. That just sounds like it sounds like really isolating. So if I understand right, like today you're a teacher, mm -hmm. special education teacher. So how do you go from being a conservative Mennonite head covering wearing woman to being a special education teacher? <laughs> it was a wild journey. So almost within the first couple of months um, of having left and like having a safe place to live and figuring out so many details after I left, um, my friend helped me to enroll in um, community college. So I took some courses at the community college and I'm thankful I had an advisor who she kind of understood where I was coming from and she knew that I needed help with like, I didn't have anything. I didn't have a computer. I didn't have money. I didn't have textbooks. Like I had nothing. And she helped me to enroll in university and figure out what I needed to do. And I wanted to teach. Like I always loved teaching. So I got into that and that was another thing. So when you become a teacher, you have to have a certain many hours um, like observing in the classroom and then student teaching. And they placed me in the middle of the city for my observation hours. <laughs> like at the high school. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, you know, like still figuring out my style, still looking you know, pretty raggedy, if I'm gonna be honest. And I'm sitting there like, I'm hearing about drugs and guns and cursing and swearing and just so many things. And it just blew my mind. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm supposed to be taking notes, but I am so shocked right now. That's <laughs> how <laughs> I became a teacher. And I did end up actually getting a job in the city because I did have a couple hours out in... Um, very conservative Akron outside of Ephrata. And I was like, uh-uh, this is not for me. This is not what I want to do. Um, so I've been working in a urban school since, and I love it most days. <laughs> <laughs> most days. Well, that's, that's a really powerful, powerful story of like how sometimes you can change your your life around into ways that serve you because it sounds like this actually serves you and that's really powerful like i'm so proud of you are you proud of you i am i never like 10 years ago if you would have told me that i would not only have a bachelor's degree and certifications and working on my master's i wouldn't have believed you no way no way like it's been an absolutely wild journey and i'm so thankful, grateful. Like I, I did this. Yeah, you did. And I wouldn't you have did. thought it was possible. Yeah. You got any questions, James? 
Well, I was just thinking, you know, um, of the, the people, the people that don't get to do what we all did, which is leave and make a better life for ourselves on the other side. And it, it's not always easy and it's definitely messy, but it's totally worth it. But, you know, we all have to start somewhere and take that first step. And right now there's people that want to take that first step, but maybe they just want to hear about other people going first. And so that's where we come in. <laughs> I'm here for this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, we should all feel accomplished and proud um, because it's not, it's not an easy thing to get away from that mindset. Sometimes we have to leave our family and people that we grew up with. Um, and it's very hard, but uh, yeah, you kind of have to start somewhere and some people can't really do that. So yeah. It takes courage. It does. And work. And work. And a lot of courage. And learning that sometimes just because you fail at something one time doesn't mean you're a failure. Am I right or am I right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you knew the number of times I have had to relearn certain subjects because I just didn't have it growing up. Well, see, like, it affects us, like, in how, like, I had tutoring to get my GED, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but, like, in other subjects, like, I completely tested out. Why? Because, again, the library comes into play. But, like, that's, like, a thing is, like, all of us learn differently. Like, how do we learn? How do we acquire information? How do we process that information? That affects how we're able to learn. Mm -hmm. So we have to figure out how we are able to access and and retain information that matters to us and for somebody to be able to go on and like get their work on their master's degree like you're you've you've obviously figured out something that works for you on some level yeah and i've had a lot of help along the way that you know they didn't they weren't a crutch to me but they supported me and they helped point me in the right direction and that was absolutely important can we talk about like the crutch versus support what do you mean by a crutch I think sometimes especially when people are coming out of a setting like I came out of you don't have anything like you literally don't have education you don't have experience some people don't have the language I'm thankful that you know I, I understood most um, but still there was so much missing and when you come out people can see you and feel like you're vulnerable and kind of almost take over for you and tell you what to do along the way. And that's harmful because then, you know, if that person goes away or if that person isn't there anymore, you're just lost. And you really were depending on that. And I think that can be really harmful. It creates a codependency instead of empowering people to take control of their own lives. Did I hear that correctly? Absolutely. So how do we better support people and how do we best like provide support that isn't creating codependency? I think resources are important because if you can yourself independently access resources that point you in the right direction, that's empowering. Like I had so many things along the way that pointed me one direction or, you know, here's a list of resources, you go do it. 
And I think if I wouldn't have had that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Right. Because I had to fight. Like I, I fought every single step of the way to get here. Um, and I'm still fighting. Like it doesn't just end when you get out and when you, you know, get a good career or whatever. Um, I'm still fighting every day. And it's just part of it. It's still there. It still affects you. So are you shunned or excommunicated or anything like that? Excommunicated. They won't look at me, make eye contact. Um, some of them try not to sell to me, like in some of the more plain stores in the area. Um, some of the cashiers won't sell to me and things like that. Well, as I've often said, shunning by another name is still shunning. Wouldn't you say, James? Absolutely. And I, I would say, like, the whole, like, removing, like, we won't sell to you or, like, not making eye contact or not communicating with you on a societal level from your former community. To me, that still meets the definition of shunning, and I would call it shunning. I don't know if you would, but that's, that's personally what that means to me is that they're just calling it excommunication because it sounds better than shunning. I think they, they also said some business about like turning my soul over to the devil. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> no, seriously. They had a whole ceremony where they, they all, all of the church members and the leaders and whatnot um, prayed and turned my soul over to the devil. So, James, have you ever heard of this kind of stuff? Um, well, I think that's, <clears throat> that's pretty standard, right? <clears throat> that uh, anybody anybody that leaves the Amish or the Mennonite or whatever, you know, it's the easiest thing to go to is like, oh, yeah, they're with the devil now. I mean, it's the most dramatic possible thing, right? But having a ceremony? Oh, a ceremony. No. Uh, what kind of ceremony? Like, what kind of ceremony was it? Was there food involved? Um, <laughs> did we do the foot washing and the holy kiss today? Oh, um. <laughs> no, I wasn't present. I wasn't allowed to be present because at that point, I think they had tried to like revoke my membership and my baptism. Oh, Regardless, oh, they take it back. They're like, you can't have this anymore. I can't be part of this anymore. But no, apparently I am now the devils and it's pretty great over here, you know. <laughs> I thought there was a handbasket. Is it like, did you go to hell in the handbasket? I think I did a long time ago. Yeah, probably like Is 10 there, years do, ago. Do you have a handbasket? Because I, I feel like, like you need one. I feel like yeah, it's, it's Prada. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Okay, then. Slipped and fell right into hell. Been there. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> We went all the way there. So with that being said, um, we're coming up on time, but I'd like to ask you, like, what would you say to anybody that maybe is experiencing any of the things that you experience? Like, what would you say to them today if they happen to hear this? Mm, I would tell them that there are more of us and that we are everywhere. You're not alone. And the feelings that you're having are valid. You're not sick. There's nothing wrong with you. Your feelings are valid. Yeah. I wish I could have heard that when I was a young kid and actually known that I wasn't the only one and that there wasn't anything wrong with me. I wish you could have too. You deserve yeah. to hear that. 
Yeah. What about you, James? <clears throat> well, I really, I really love um, that you highlighted the the public library as a resource. I mean, for me, the public library was everything to me. Like it gave me, it showed me how the world functioned outside of the Amish, my Amish world. And I mean, I know that some Amish and probably some really conservative Mennonites can't have library cards or um, it may be taboo to have a library card, but if you are Amish or Mennonite, your best friend is going to be a library card. Seriously, go get it and um, uh, set your mind free because the world is all yours. Thank you, James. I, I would agree. And I'd like to say thank you to Jessica for being our guest and giving us the honor of hearing some of her story. And thank you for speaking openly. It means a lot to me that you are being courageous enough to come on here and like trust us with all of this information because sometimes it can be really conflicting. And I'd also like to thank James for being present here as always. You know, James is like that. Come on, Mary, we got to go do this. And I'm like, oh, James. <laughs> Y'all, for real though, but I am really happy that we got to have this conversation with Jessica. And I'm grateful that James is here as well. And I'm honored to be able to sit with with Jessica as she talks about her experiences. And if you're listening to this today, I'd like for you to know that you are just as valid as any other human being out there. You are worthy of love, empathy, compassion, and support in life. Reach out to um, people that can support you, like maybe the Misfit Amish or the Trevor Project, or there's also mental health hotlines that you can Google and find if you're struggling. And specifically the Trevor Project, I want to highlight as a resource for LGBTQ youth. So if you're struggling, reach out to the Trevor Project as a youth. They serve up to age 24, I believe. And furthermore, Go live your best lives, be fabulous, and as always, enjoy your day. <laughs>